my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi. I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sam Edis. And I'm Amy Nelson. Welcome to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. This is a show about the world's most remarkable women, their professional and personal journeys. Together, we'll hear from gold medalists, best-selling authors, and leaders of the world's most iconic brands. Listen every Thursday or join the conversation anytime on Instagram at What's Her Story Podcast. Victoria Garrick is a mental health advocate for young women and athletes. She's also a former Division I volleyball player and has amassed 1.5 million followers across social media, where she's known for her unfiltered campaign, hashtag RealPost. You have nearly half a million followers on Instagram. How did you amass such a big social media following? I never thought, oh, I want to be an influencer and I want to gain a following and like, how do I map this out and do it? Which is ironic because everything else in my life up until the time I was probably 19 did feel like a plan. I sat down and I was like, this is what I want. This is how I'll achieve it. With social media, it was really a snowball effect. I was studying journalism at USC. I thought I wanted to be a you know sports broadcaster. 
But at the same time, I was also a student athlete. I played on the volleyball team there. And it was this weird tug of war because I would be reporting and writing articles on athletes and their stats and their performance and, you know, just all the things that a general audience member could take from their game. But then I was living and feeling something completely different as an athlete, which was what was really going on off the court inside of me that wasn't great. And I was struggling with anxiety and depression and body image issues. And so I kind of realized there's this other story that really needs to be told because no one's talking about it. And I feel like I'm so alone in this. But a long story short, there was an email came through. TED Talks was coming to USC. I happened to see the email. I had, I think, 24 hours to apply. I knew immediately I wanted to talk about athlete mental health. I'd never thought about, like, I want to give a TED Talk. How do I seek it out? Like, the email came into the inbox as it did everyone else at the school, and I applied. I gave the TED Talk. And then that really kind of caught fire throughout the athletic community. And then more people kind of flocked to my Instagram and my Facebook messaging me, commenting. And then that's when I started to realize, okay, well, I have more to share. I have more to say. So I continued storytelling on my own platforms. And then, you know, you start a YouTube channel, you do that for a year, another year, and then things grow. And we are here where we are today. When did you feel like, okay, it's okay to talk about mental health issues? Because even though so many young women and girls suffer from them, very few feel comfortable sharing that aspect of their life publicly. I realized that this was a life or death conversation. And so I didn't even have the wherewithal or the pause to be like, what are people going to think? Oh, like, you know, I was just like, we need to talk about this. And I felt so almost, I want to lightly use the word like furious because I had been an athlete my whole life. I'd, I'd never heard about a performance anxiety or, you know, being on your dream team and being depressed. And so when this became my reality, which it then took me like a year to really understand what I was thinking, what I was feeling, to put words to it, to see a therapist, to start to get better, that when I started to realize hey, this is really, really hard. And this is not just me. I know it's my teammates. I know it's other people. No one's talking about it. That's really what gave me, I guess, the courage to just be so candid about it was because I knew that the message needed to be shared. I knew people would would resonate with it. And it was like I, I believed in the conversation more than I was thinking about myself or how people would perceive me. Um, so... You know, when I was preparing to give this talk and mind you, you know, I have my parents who have done everything they could have ever done my whole life to make sure I was happy and had everything I'd wanted. And my mom, I remember, was the one who said, are, are you sure you want to share all of this? You know, and it came from the I love my mom. She's my best friend. It came from the best place. This was 2017. No one was talking about this. She was like, you know, this is going to be on the internet forever. Your future employers are going to see this. Um, are you sure you want to talk about the suicidal ideation on the bike? Like, can we just remove that? You know, little, my mom's trying to protect me. That was really the only time or instance I can remember someone being like, I don't know if you should be this candid, but I pushed back and said, you know, mom, this is the truth. This is really how I felt. And I share that not my mom is the best mom in the world. And I might have done the same thing in the same circumstance with a daughter. Who knows? 
But I don't know. For me, I just had this knowing that I needed to say everything. How did you go about putting the talk together? TED Talks came to USC, which is like TEDx USC. They were going to take six speakers. So I actually had already had a notes page in my phone of like various things. My whole life, I've kind of, you know, pretended to be a main character and just written down my thoughts and feelings on plane rides and whatever. So I had detailed, I remember this one morning I was late and for a drug test. And so I was crying and the whole team was going to have to run and I had a test. And I literally just was like, I'm crying. Like I just took like a dear diary in my phone, which then ended up being the opening to my talk, which is like this, you know, 60, 90 second scenario where I put the audience in my shoes and say, this is what you have to do. That came from like a dear diary entry on my phone. So I was a journalism student. I did love storytelling. I had that kind of in me. It wasn't like I, you know, didn't have any background in, um, you know, being on stage or in front of a camera. So that definitely served me well. Um, also, you know, I definitely am like a type A person. I do everything to the nines. I'm super thorough. I've always been a good communicator. There were definitely a lot of like innate qualities in me that I think primed me to deliver like a a really good TED talk at 19 with no public speaking experience. Like I was always the girl who maybe didn't work on the group project, but you better bet I showed up and I presented it to the whole class in high school. Like that was always my role. So those things helped. Um, I definitely reached out to, you know, my closest high school English professor who I really trusted and said, I'm going to give this talk. Like, can I run, you know, ideas through you? And um, he was helpful. My current sports psychologist that I was in therapy with, I also had conversations with her about, you know, high level, like, what are you seeing? What does this mean? And so I did have like those two mentors who I hopped on maybe one or two phone calls with. um, And then... Yeah, I mean, I never, my dad, I think when he knew I was going to give a talk, bought me one of those like TED Talk books. I never read it. As much as I am type A, I also love winging things. And I'm like the queen of leaving everything to the last second. And I remember before going on stage, I actually hadn't rehearsed it. I have been rehearsing it, of course, but not like uh, many, many times. And right before I went on stage, I was like starting to blink. Because I also memorized everything verbatim because I'd never given a talk before. I didn't have the experience to be like, here's my high level subject. Let me you know, ramble on that for three minutes, which maybe I can do that now. So I memorized the entire 18 minutes word for word. Um, and yeah, I don't, and you know, you know, in that moment, I, I started to blink. The, I was about to go on stage and I just said, Victoria, even if you did no prep and you had no idea what you were going to say, like you could go talk about this for 15 minutes because that, it's your life and it matters to you. So I also think I just came back to like the fact that I was speaking about something I cared about. I don't think I could have ever given a TED Talk on chemistry. Victoria, when did your own journey with mental health start? And if you could share with us what that's been like even till today. Yes. So – I did not struggle with anxiety or depression until college. Looking back, I definitely um, have struggled with body image and food since I was probably 13 years old. And at the time, you know, I thought, oh, well, like everyone's on a diet. Everyone weighs themselves. Everyone tries to lose, you know, two pounds a week before the school dance. Like I didn't think any of that was disordered or unhealthy or toxic, you know, and in hindsight, it's like if you're 14 drinking a slim, quick shake, something's wrong. So, you know, 
those issues definitely had been there throughout childhood. And then in college, you know, I had never experienced anything like the performance anxiety I was hit with as a college athlete. I was always confident, the go-getter. I mean, I earned a starting spot as a true freshman because I was that confident and that fearless. And then we're weeks into season and the pressure has mounted. Practice is intense. We're undefeated, the number one team in the country. And that's when I really start to break down. And it was a shift in me that I have never felt anything like before. Just no confidence. Um, Constantly thinking of the worst case scenario. Constantly assuming everyone was out to get me. I was going to make a mistake. You know, hands shaking, eyes watering with tears, unable to sleep at night and just being like, what's going on? And I actually, when I was cleaning out some boxes the other day, found like my college journal and I have this whole paragraph where I detail performance anxiety, but I didn't know what it was. I was like, I don't know why I can't sleep at night and why I I always think about making mistakes and I'm not confident. Like I didn't know what it was because I hadn't had that conversation. And how about today? I feel very happy now and, and in tune with my emotions. And if anything, it's something I have to think about is how long can I continue advocating and kind of recalling this traumatic time in my life as much as it is for the betterment of current student athletes. And I know the conversation is still important. Like I've been doing this since 2017 and I'm happy now and I'm planning a wedding and I'm not depressed and I'm not an athlete. And it's hard for me to to go to schools and speak and really mentally put myself in their shoes when I work so hard to get out of them. So I am in a great place. And I think I I try my best now to balance that with also the experience I have that is also work I'm passionate about. If you had to give a TED Talk today, what would it be about? If I had to give a TED Talk, I think I'd want to talk about the fact that finding meaning, purpose, and success in life doesn't have to come through achievement and going to the top school and being on the top team and having followers and money and being a New York Times bestselling author and all these things that we are like raised and conditioned to believe that like equate to happiness actually don't and that it's enough to just want to have a joyous life. And when you think about people you encounter, I mean, when I meet someone who's happy and joyful, and they're radically authentic, that is inspiring. I can count the people on my hand, the few people who I think are joyous and genuine. And that actually impacts and inspires me when I'm around them. And so it's like the way that we can change the world by being ourselves and cultivating happiness can cause the ripple in the person you meet and the next person you meet and change the world. You don't have to be the next Oprah Winfrey or the next Steve Jobs. And You know, that's like something I've been sitting with a lot recently because as much as my whole career has come out of the anti, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to look perfect. I kind of got lost in, okay, well, I'm going to be the best influencer who talks about being real. Like I'm going to be the most popular influencer who encourages you to be yourself. It's like the achievement snuck back in. And so now I'm trying to dial back to like, you know, how can I manifest happiness in my life and not worry about what's happening externally? Are you joyous? Yes, I would say that I am. There's definitely uh, 
I think there's one main thing in my life I wish could be different, which would make me more joyous. I think I thrive off of talking to people and interacting with people and I am self-employed and I work for myself and I'm alone a lot of the time. And it's fairly hard for me to just create environments. Like I miss middle school when you would show up in seventh grade and you all took math class and science together and you got to go to recess. It was just fun. And I think now as an adult, you have to like make plans to hang out with people. And I think I, I would love to find a way to have more community in my everyday life. I've thought about maybe I want to do like improv classes. I'm not an actor. I'm not a comedian, but it would just be fun to go somewhere with no phones or computers and be uncomfortable with other humans. So I I don't know. That's what I'm trying to work on. But overall, yeah, I'd say I'm joyous. And now a quick break. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for deliverance. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in in a different aspect of my life now. So... How'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Can you envision a life where you're not online as much, where you where you aren't speaking to your social media following, where that isn't happening? What does that look like? For me... It does actually make me really happy when I have a creative idea and I get to execute it and make it happen and then put it out into the world and like see comments that it's helped people. So that definitely does make me happy and and bring me joy. I do think I've realized that there's happy medium. So I've had to kind of think about, you know, how can I compartmentalize the fact that, yes, this is my job and so I have to do it, but also... I want to make sure that I don't pass away. And if, you know, the higher power broadcasted the hours I spent on my phone, that it doesn't equate to like 20 years. That would like, I think, disgust me. Right. But I think I'm on that track. So I can't imagine myself maybe not online because I also have to support myself and make money. So it's it's interesting. But I also love my job. I'd rather be doing what I'm doing than like doing something I hate. <laughs> How long does it take you to make a real video? It depends. I mean... I, you know, a few weeks ago had this um, thought on boundaries. And so I pull out my phone and it takes 60 seconds to just record my thought and put that out into the world. Other times, if I have, you know, an idea of a video I want to make where maybe one part's in the kitchen, the next part's on the couch, the next part's outside, it takes a little longer, but it's fun. I mean, when I was in like sixth grade, I used to make videos and music videos with my friends. And so, I love the creative process for sure. Is there a team behind you? And is are your videos planned out? I have like three people who work for me part-time who like assist with various things, whether it's communications and scheduling, um, help with a podcast. In terms of content, I really, I mean, I do it all myself. I think that's also a misconception is, you know, we see in the movies you know, an agent in Los Angeles saying, I want to make you a star. And they pull you out of a coffee shop and they like do everything you need to do and you become the next Taylor Swift. Really, it's not like that. And in this industry, you're not going to find anyone who's going to say, here's what you have to do and I'm going to help you do it. Like, no, they're either doing it because they're getting a cut of your money. They want to make money off of you. Or it's a friend who's meeting you for coffee. And maybe they are genuine for that hour, but their life isn't dedicated to like helping you with your brand. So For the most part, I would say like 90% of creators, it's coming from their brain, their creativity, they're making the videos, they're doing everything. I very recently tried to create a method to the madness by hiring like a content specialist who I meet with every Monday and we go over like what's coming up this week. You know, tomorrow I'm trying on my my wedding dress. I'm going for my first dress fitting. So we, we realize that on Monday, we then are pulling some ideas that I can film in the moment. 
you know, when I'm in the car, can I take a video talking about how I'm feeling? And then when I get back in the car, can I talk about how it went? So I do plan it in the sense now that I'm thinking ahead, but I have no idea what I'm posting today. You know, it, it might come to me. Um, we could finish the podcast. I'll be like, we talked about something amazing. I want to find a photo and write a caption that really coincides with that. So, you know, it's intuitive. It's a lot. It's definitely an entrepreneurial life. Do you take breaks? I actually hadn't been really thinking about that ever. And I kind of worked the with the rest of the world, you know, Monday through Friday, nine to five, when like my fiance is working, I'm going to work too. But oh, wait, on Saturday and Sunday, I'm also posting because that's when everyone's on their phones and they're not working. So I realized I was kind of like working all the time. And even when I finish working on a Wednesday at six, like with what I have to do, if Max comes home and we start cooking or um, you know, something happens or I try on a dress and it's too small. It's like, I might think I want to pull out my, my phone and like document this experience because it's on brand and it's helpful. So I realized I had no boundaries and I didn't take time off. So now I have been more mindful about that. Like the days I do put my phone away and it's away and I'm going to enjoy my night. Or sometimes I will take a Tuesday off or a Thursday off because I know I need to work on Saturday and Sunday. So I've been kind of leaning into that more, and it's only something I've recently become aware of. How did you meet your fiance? Um, we met in college. He, we both played sports at USC, and so we met um, freshman year. But then, it, you know, uh, it took me a year to realize he was he was a good guy, and I should uh, I should go on a date with him. So then, my sophomore year, I went out with him, and uh, we've been together for six years. You've now worked with thousands of young women and girls. Have you noticed any patterns about confidence and body image and the evolution of that? Yes. I feel like and I and I can only, you know, make this educated assumption cuz I'm current, you know, I'm not 15 right now experiencing what they are and I'm coming at it from a different lens, but if I think about the fact that when I was in high school, the body image issues and dysmorphia and insecurities that I felt without TikTok, without the influencer, without all of those things, like, and I was suffering, I can only imagine um, how that's been amplified now by the way that young girls wake up, grab their phone, and then are waking up to a photo of Kylie Jenner in a bikini. I mean, and that does something to you, and it makes you think about how you look. And I just think that constant access to this perception of beauty that is unattainable, not often real, right? If there's Photoshop or they're posting saying that they ate this for lunch, but they really didn't need that for lunch. And there's filters and there's other people in your class whose parents do allow them to be on every platform and you're not allowed. So are you missing out on the social things and the cute guy that you have a crush on or girl is on Snapchat and you're not on Snapchat. Like, so I think we're seeing, you know, the highest rate of mental health issues we've seen. I mean, we're in a mental health crisis and it's sad and it's terrifying. And I have no idea like how I would want to handle it when I have kids one day. I do find it so interesting that even the idealized bodies have changed over the course of the last 10 years. And I wonder how that impacts body image. Definitely. I mean, when 
when my mom was growing up, it was being as thin as possible, like Cindy Crawford, you know, Twiggy, that was the ideal. Um, No one wanted a huge butt. Like having a big butt was like a bad thing. And now everyone wants to have a big butt. Um, You know, before no one really thought about your eyebrows or your lips or like contour. And now everyone wants these huge lips and these really thick eyebrows and contour. And like the same way fashion trends change. I think, of course, without a doubt, we're going to see the beauty standard change in a couple years or I mean it changes every single day whatever Hailey Bieber and Kendall Jenner wear today and how they do their hair like that's going to influence people it influences me like I love Hailey Bieber I think she's gorgeous and I love her fashion so of course it's changing but I think the important thing to point out is like all of this is basically you know diet culture and how diet culture works is by convincing you that you are not good enough the way you are Um, And then presenting a new standard that you need to be um, that's going to change and is going to continuously change. That's the secret they don't tell you, that you can never actually reach that point. Um, But they'll convince you you can, and then they will sell you or tell you to do different diets or work out or squat or drink this, do that, buy this, and you will get closer to that. And then when it doesn't work and you don't get there, Never blame diet culture. Oh, no, 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 no. Blame yourself. You don't have willpower. You couldn't do it. You're not good enough. Try again, buy again. And so when I really kind of took a step back and realized that that's how the billion-dollar diet industry was functioning, you're able to realize this is ridiculous. I'm never going to get a magic wand waved over me that says you are beautiful in every way and you're perfect and you never have to change. Because even the Gigi Hadids and the Kim Kardashian, they don't get that wand. There's people who think they're not pretty enough. They're to this, they're to that. So it's complex. It's deeply rooted in our society, in the way we talk, especially with you know the generations before us. So hopefully by having conversations like this, we can kind of open the eyes of of everyone and kind of phase that out. Someone with your voice and the audience you have must also become a receptacle of people's problems, whether it's them contacting you after a speech or writing to you or connecting with you on a direct message. How involved do you get? Where do you draw that line? I would say that years of this has definitely desensitized me and It like hurts my heart a little bit to say that, but you do eventually get to a place where it happens so frequently and it's every single day, like within every single hour that I am able to just kind of turn it off and like just notice, oh, this email, like saving for admin, like not for me, like because I've had to protect my energy in that way. And also, if I were to stop and respond to every single message, I couldn't even do what I'm doing that is warranting people sending the the messages in the first place. And I know that they would want me to continue doing what I'm doing because it was impactful for them. So it's also like not realistic for me to put the expectation on myself to be able to respond and be there for everyone and like and hold that space because sometimes I can't even hold space for the people in my life who I do love and who I am supposed to hold space for and I am supposed to show up for. So, you know, I would say time has helped because in the beginning I thought I had to do it reply reply to everyone and make everything okay. So time has helped. Um, you know, really understanding my boundaries has helped. I talk about it in therapy. You know, I've I've had I have had, yes, to kind of set limits there and also give myself permission to to do that as well. And now a quick break. 
I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune into what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
a lot of what we talk about on this show is women and money because there is such a huge relationship between a woman having freedom in her life and having the ability to choose her own path and being financially independent. What role has money played in your life and how do you think about it for your future? It's so funny that you ask this because like I just came off my bachelorette and you know, I got an influx of questions saying, you know, this looked so lavish or like, how did you afford this or who bought what? And it's like, I know in my, in, of course I know in my life, like who bought what, the money that I make, what I, what I spent on this X, Y, Z. I'm almost afraid to have that conversation online because of judgment, because I think it is hard for women to talk about money for so many reasons. So it's like, I shy away from the conversation, which I question too. I'm like, should I shy away? Like, I also think, too, with the work that I do, it's like people like to think I don't make money. Like, I don't know if it registers for people. Like, when you see an ad on my page, I'm being paid for that. I think I definitely love being financially independent, paying for myself in my relationship. I'm the breadwinner. My fiance works in real estate. I know the day we buy a house, everyone will think he bought it for us when he didn't. Like, so, you know, I think about things like that, just constantly being the underdog and people thinking I don't make money and, and, and vice versa. I definitely do come from privilege and I, and I grew up in a family that was able to provide me with opportunities and I, and I don't have college debt. And so, you know, those things are extremely significant. Okay. We have to do the speed round. So we asked a few quick questions. Who leaves you starstruck? Who leaves me starstruck? Taylor Swift. Will you be changing your name after you get married? I'm going to be adding it. So I'll be Victoria Garrick Brown. And then I'll probably slowly phase out Garrick. But legally, yes, I will be Victoria Brown. What show are you watching right now? I am watching that new dinosaur documentary thing where they like, they, have you guys seen that? It's Everyone's watching it right now. It's basically like David Attenborough and it's, I think it's called a prehistoric world and everyone needs to watch it. (laughs) What is your morning routine? My morning routine is either one of two things. The first is snooze my alarm, check my phone in bed, put on PJs and start working with unbrushed hair. Or it is I wake up at 630. I go outside on a walk. I exercise. I come back. I have athletic greens, I meditate, and then I start working at 8 a.m. You never know what you're going to get with me. Well, Lou Burns has been listening to our interview, and he always comes in at the very end with the male perspective. So he'll be asking questions, the final questions. When you got so, I guess, courageous enough to to put it all to pen and paper and then to talk about it, were you, previously, were you like a person that was lying about those same issues? I wasn't lying about it, I probably was withholding the truth. I think I was worried that if I told someone, hey, I'm really anxious or I'm really depressed, that that would mean my coach would bench me. Why would he play someone who was anxious? My teammates wouldn't trust me. Um, My parents would fly down to school and like take me, but I want to stay here. You know, I think I just didn't want anyone to know what was really going on for fear of how that would affect the situation, which was one that I really did want. I was playing and I was on my dream team and I was at my dream school. So I think I just didn't tell anyone because I didn't know how it would be received. 
Um, and then once I slowly started to talk to people about it, and then I went to counseling and I realized, you know, that it was okay and that I was still a great volleyball player and my coach wasn't going to bench me and this is common and this is why it happened to me. Like I felt so confident in that, that then I was able to kind of take the TED talk stage and feel like I was three steps forward. So when someone asked you if you were like when you were really feeling down, when someone asked you how you doing and you told them you were good. I think it was less that I was trying to lie. If I'm thinking of a situation where someone was like, how, how are you? And I was not good. I probably would like maybe start to cry and be like, ah, I'm stressed, like not good. Like I would probably cry, but I would wait for them to say, no, really tell me what's going on. How do you feel? It's like, I wanted them to push me and say, I want to know I care about you. And I would have taken the opportunity. It was almost like I was waiting for someone to do that. Um, and so if they didn't, I would kind of keep it surface level. So Sam, I think one of the most interesting things about Victoria, and there are so many, is that she seems like she's at this crossroads where she's asking, do I continue to stand in this place of being a mental health advocate for something that is becoming further and further in my rear view mirror? You know, after our conversation, I had a chance to download with my 16-year-old Ella, who was the first person to sort of turn us on to Victoria. And she was sharing that when Victoria speaks to young girls, it is so powerful and so transformative for their mental health. And I found it interesting that she was questioning whether, you know, she's not suffering now, so can she be this advocate? And I feel more strongly than ever before that she should be. She should continue with the work she's done and continue to try to inspire young girls. I think there's such a place for that. But I also think that, you know, she's getting married as you evolve in your life phases. Sometimes you think you have to leave a part of your career behind and it's probably too early to do that. And hopefully she'll she'll come to that judgment on her own. I mean, maybe maybe she's an even better speaker on the issue now because even though she has moved into this more joyous place in her life, like it shows that you can, despite all of the challenges for young women today, despite, you know, all of it, right? Like you can get to this place of joy and happiness and moving forward. Exactly. Thanks for listening to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. We would appreciate it if you leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, connect with us on social media at What's Her Story Podcast. What's Her Story with Sam and Amy is powered by my company, The Riveter, at theriveter.co and Sam's company, Park Place Payments, at parkplacepayments.com. Thanks to our producer, Stacey Para, and our male perspective, Blue Burns.